No, no, no. She's not a medical doctor, but she can sure cure your tax problems or your financial woes. She's the how-to girl. It's the Dr. Friday Show. If you have a question for Dr. Friday, call her now, 737-WWTN. That's 737-9986. So here's your host, financial counselor and tax consultant, Dr. Friday. Today, I'm Dr. Friday, and the doctor is in the house. We are here live in the studio, so if you've got questions and you've been working on some tax issues or problems, or maybe you're just trying to figure out how to deal with some of those problems, this is the show you want to listen to, and hopefully I can get you in the right direction. We always try. 615-737-9986 is the number here in the studio, 615 615- 737-9986 is the number. So if you want to join us, you can. Basically, what we want to talk about a little bit today is, you know, what, what should we be looking at for 2022? We are now five months into the new tax season. We haven't had a lot of current tax changes, things that are going to go in effect. So pretty much your tax planning will be consistent with what's happened in 2021, give or take a few minor adjustments to cost of living. But Um, It's always very important, especially with the current changes that we have happening in uh, real estate and stocks. We all know the stock market right now has come down quite a bit. So many of you or some of you may be looking at potential stock losses. If you're like me, you're holding and waiting for that to hopefully bounce back so that I won't affect any of my tax losses. But sometimes a tax loss could help if you had a large capital gains. So, uh, and I want to put a caveat out there. I am not a financial planner. I am totally talking about taxes and how to potentially save on tax dollars. Never take a tax loss just to save tax dollars because anytime I'm talking about a tax loss, in most cases, you would be losing the value of your tax bracket. So for example, if you have a $10,000 tax loss, a physically lost $10,000, and you're in the 20% tax bracket, you would only save $2,000 in tax dollars. So never a good idea to just go lose money just so you can save money. Now, sometimes you can, by by having a loss, it could kick you into a lower tax bracket um, or things like that. So it may help, help you even more than a few thousand, but all in all, it's never a dollar for dollar loss. So always uh, make sure you're consulting with a financial planner if this is something that's going to have a major effect on your finances, right? Because again, if you're only talking to someone like myself, an enrolled agent, Uh, that's what we do is taxes. We do representation. I'm not looking at what's going to be happening in the big picture under my um, expertise. My expertise is how to save you taxes today or tomorrow or in the future. I had a really interesting conversation with one of my clients been doing for the last couple of years, and they were doing some Roth conversions and they came in because they were just trying to figure out the math And a lot of times financial planners, especially ones um, that really just look at your market, right? Where you're at in the stock market, they don't really necessarily do uh, big financial planning for you. Sometimes they forget some of the moving pots. And one of the big ones that I've found in this kind of situation is really plain and simple. If you are over the age of 65 and you're wanting to do conversions because you're thinking, well, if I convert it now, I won't have to pay taxes later. 
later. Sometimes that's a great, especially with a lower tax bracket. But if you're doing large enough conversions, this gentleman who is doing a couple hundred thousand uh, a year in conversions, he's kicking his Medicare into a $700 a month deduction versus what's usually three or 400 in his case is normal. So he's almost doubling the cost of Medicare. And he still has another five, six years before he has to take what's called the required minimum distribution. And in all honesty, this gentleman's done very well. So his requirement of distribution, once he hits 72, will be high enough to make him into the higher bracket anyway. So we were doing some number crunching, just trying to figure out, okay, he is paying lower tax today than he is in the future. He will help uh, possibly, you know, whoever inherits the money may be in a lower tax bracket. These are great things, but he's also paying some pretty hefty penalties for doing it. And so we were crunching some numbers and everyone's numbers are going to be different, but it's important that you look at all the moving parts, not just that, oh, I'm in a lower tax bracket. So I'm going to save three or 4% if I convert today. But what effect is that having on your other incomes? Are you actually paying more in taxes? Or in some cases, I know um, I work with Hank Parrott a lot, And so often when we're sitting in doing tax planning, he's also in there doing financial planning. In his case, sometimes it's just better to let the, you know, have a couple low years where you're not paying as much in taxes, take the advantage of doing that. So when the RMD came in or starts at 72, this gentleman will then have at that point, he has no choice. It will start kicking in and he'll have to start paying higher. And on top of it, his wife at that point will be on Medicare. And so, you know, she'll be paying a higher Medicare as well. So I'm just saying, make sure when you're thinking about all the numbers, sometimes people just look at, okay, capital gains rates is, you know, 15, 18.8, 23.8, or ordinary income, 10, 12, 22, 24, like a football player, hop, hop, hike, no. Uh, But those are the numbers that we always have in our heads. But sometimes you can get hit with other penalties from other benefits or AMT tax that comes in alternative minimum tax, uh, they call that kind of the leveling uh, playing field kind of tax. Don't really agree, but no one's asking me. Um, But these are the taxes you have to know about and make sure you understand where and how that's going to affect your taxes. So when you're doing your taxes, that's one thing putting the numbers on a tax form, preparing tax returns, making sure they're done right. Um, That's, you know, obviously the goal, uh, but that's often, you know, January through April. Then you want to really start. And I always suggest um, if you file extensions, that's great. I'm big on extensions myself, but also the window that you have between now and October is a time to also be looking at tax planning. You want to be able to sit down and say, hey, what if I do this? What if I sell my piece of real estate? What if I sell my primary home? What if I sell stocks? What if I have this much in capital gains? What if is a huge game to play? So that way you now are armed. If you decide to do this or you decide to do that, you know how that's going to affect your taxes as well as any other benefits you might be qualifying for. So it's very important to play that game with your tax person um, and get that kind of information because they, uh, myself, when I've already done your taxes, it's easier for me to do because just like I started the show, I said taxes really haven't changed between 2021 and 2022. Not a big change. Like I said, there's some minor cost of living changes, things like that. But if you're really doing some basic estimating, it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's 
it's going to be a big different story in the year of 2025 when we expire some of these tax changes and you know you're going into 2026. So we have the advantage of doing this right now and we just want to make sure that you are taking full advantage of that information. So if you have some questions I might be able to answer here I'm live on the radio so why not take advantage 615-737-9986 615-737-9986 I want to run through really quickly uh, the IRS put out a, a brochure I think it's to everybody, but we we received it here in the office. Um, and it's the biggest common mistakes taxpayers make. And I think a couple of these are kind of interesting. You wouldn't think you'd be able to, but some of them, apparently, if you mail in a tax return, this would apply. Because if, if you were e-filing a tax return, you can't have, for example, a wrong social security number. It won't accept it. So therefore, the exact sec- one of the second biggest mistakes people put is missing or inaccurate social security numbers. The first thing they put in was filing too early. So this is what's funny on the IRS, right? It says, while taxpayers should not file late, they should also not file too early. So, so when is the perfect time? That's a great question. Don't know if I know the exact answer, but I think what they're saying is um, sometimes people rush to get their refunds. They prematurely forget that they had something else that needed to come in and they often have to amend the tax return, which often leads to delays. So just you know, make sure when you file your taxes to the best of your ability, making sure that you have all of the information that you have and that you're you're working it. The third thing was misspelling of names. Now I will say one of my clients have come back and said, Friday, that is not quite how I spell my name. Um, but I, again, with e-filing, now that one can be funny because if the first four letters of the name is correct, that's what they check when e-filing. And so I could still have a typo in the name. So making sure that the name is spelled correctly is a very important situation um, But uh, for that. And then accurate wages, dividends, interest. This is always the hardest thing because the IRS will send back. And I know a couple of you guys listening, you got love letters back because in 21 and tw- in 20 and 21, we of course had the stimulus. And in many cases, people said they did not receive the money and that they needed to be able to um, get that, you know, they wanted to put it on their tax return. And we did that. We put it on the tax return and the government came right back and said, guess what? You already got your money. But they're still saying, no, I didn't. Well, guess what? Friday found out how to get that money. Okay. So if you are listening right now and you said, hey, I have not received or the IRS may have issued a check, but you never received it. You need to go online and download a form called a 3911. That is a 3911. It's taxpayer statement regarding refunds. This is what you will need to be filing to um, request a second check, um, a direct deposit, um, you know, Bottom line, if there was a mistake with your bank or if they sent the check and you were relocated, um, this is where you're going to be able to get your stimulus and or any refund checks that you might be entitled to. So if you've got questions on that, 
again, I know I've been saying for a while, I really wasn't sure the process we were going to be using to try to go back and get the stimulus money and or any missing um, refunds you might have had. Refunds are a little bit more direct. Stimulus was a little bit harder, but they have come back and they've given us a um, instruction of doing this form. So if you've got questions on that, we can take those after the break. Or if you're trying to work on your 2022 tax planning, maybe you have inherited something or you've sold something and you're not too sure. You just want to make sure how much money you should be setting aside and when should you be prepaying or making an estimated tax payment. This is the show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back from that break, we'll take some of your phone calls or we'll continue on some of the questions I've received through the, the week through email. But you can join the show at 615-737-9986. We'll be right back with the Dr. Friday Show. We are back here live in studio and we're taking your calls if you want 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. I realize it's an awful beautiful day and nobody really wants to be sitting around probably dealing with tax issues, but you know what? You know, they seem to love to send us love letters. That means there's always something out there that's just kind of, ooh, I mean, I had a fascinating one this week just happened on Friday. This gentleman brought a business back in 2013. And for any of you that uh, that have purchased businesses in the state of Tennessee, there's a kind of a unique law that basically says if you purchase a business in the state of Tennessee and you do not get a tax waiver from the state of Tennessee, Tennessee Department of Revenue, basically saying that the prior owner was in good standing, then you, the new owner, are responsible for the taxes that they owed, right? It's kind of scary, kind of a little freaky because you're like, oh my gosh, what a how? Well, in this particular case, back in 2013, 14, this is how I actually found out about this ruling. Um, we ended up with this particular ruling coming up and we ended up having to negotiate and come up with a dollar amount that we had to pay the states. Okay, so we're thinking all's good, ends good, I guess you would say. Um, and now, like I said yesterday, they got a love letter from this old business that was done in, ten- I mean, this is Tennessee Department of Revenue sent a letter to my, my clients, but under the name of the prior owners for the year of 2004 business license, and they did an assessment and they charged penalties and interest. And now they're looking only for 8,000 and some dollars. Oh, well, that's not a good thing. Let me just share that with you. So um, call the state in all honesty, the, the, the letter basically says this is not necessarily a collection notice. Um, but you know, they're working on it on their side. But these are the kinds of things we have to have our eyes open on because so often when we buy or sell something, we're always sitting there going, hmm, okay, I've got that covered, kind of like close that door. And, you know, sometimes those doors can get reopened, or maybe it comes in through a window. But I'm just saying, make sure you have that information and that you do if you are talking to someone and you're thinking about buying an existing business, because usually that's a good idea, especially if you're starting from, you know, it's harder to build a business from scratch than it is to take over a business that's already has a good reputation. But getting a tax waiver is not a hard thing to do, doesn't really cost anything. Um, And it could save you in this gentleman's case. I mean, obviously thousands of dollars. So, all right, let's go to Jerry in Lebanon, please. Hey, Jerry, what's happening? Uh, trying to figure out what to do. Okay. 
Let's see if I can help you. Give me the situation. My, my grandmother passed in October, and she left a farm for my dad and I to split. Well, we are fixing to sell it, and my part of it is going to be around a million plus. Okay. And I've never had this much money before. I don't know what to expect as far as taxes. I don't know what I need to do after the fact to make the money work for me. And I need to just get with somebody to find out what I need to expect and what I need to do while we're in the sale of this property. Well, there's some good news I can give you. Um, you may still have a little capital gains because the price of property is going up every month, it seems like. But one of the things you and your dad, and maybe you've already done, but you need to get a basis for the property at the time that your grandmother passed away. So you need the, the um, real estate people would call them comps. You need to get something that's like a like kind that would tell us how much was the land worth back in October of 2021. So we know what we have for a, a basis. So whatever it was worth at that time is what we're going to be able to use as your tax basis. And then whatever you sell it for. So if it was worth a million and you sell it for 2 million, then you'll pay tax on a million dollars. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it's probably not going to be that drastic of a difference, but I will say it does change every month around here. So it could have been worth less in October than it was worth in, in May. Right. I mean, you may have still had some growth, but that's what you're going to want to do. So first thing, both your father's tax person and you are going to need those comps. Um, and the ideal person to do is if you have a real estate person handling the, you know, the, the sale, most of the time they will do those for free because they're very happy that they are making a commission on you. So get that. And then as far as once you sell it and we determine whatever taxes, then I would suggest you getting together with either Hank Parrott, my financial guy, or you might want to shop and go to two or three different individuals, making sure that their train of thought is your train of thought, right? You don't want to be talked into a bunch of annuities or you don't want, I mean, my personal opinion, obviously, um, Jerry, or you don't want to be all invested in the real in the market because obviously we see well roller coaster ride so you need to have good diversification uh things like that but we can certainly sit down once the sale is completed and i can help you with the tax and then i can give you some referrals on financial people um and i would definitely suggest go to two or three people every one of them should be free as far as initial consultation and make sure you're on the same page with that person so you because they're going to know a lot about you you know all right. Okay. No worries. Sounds good, Jerry. Thanks. Uh -huh. So, and that's the kind of situation we're running into quite a few, not necessarily in some cases it's inheritance, just like Jerry's. Um, and then the other cases is people just selling primary homes for more than the exclusion. Keep in mind, if you're selling your primary home um, and you've lived in it two out of the last five years and you haven't taken the exclusion in the last two years, then you can get $250,000 for an individual and $500,000 for a married couple. I can tell you right now, I have three that I can think of instantly that sold their homes for more than that. So they paid 200,000, they had the 500 exclusion and they sold them for 1.2 million or, or whatever the ballpark. So you could end up having to pay tax on the sale of your primary home. Not as much. 
but you can. Um, the harder ones are really when, um, and it's a little bit of a game, but you know, you were married 25 years and your husband and you lived in the house. And then one of, you know, your husband passes away in this example, and then you lived another 10 years in the house, but now you've sold it. You've got the step up in basis from 10 years ago with your husband's half and then yours, but you're still not near what the market value is. So again, I have one in California. We've been doing, oh, probably a good 20, 25. She, she's been with me almost from the beginning and I've been in business now 25 years. Um, and, uh, you know, we lost her husband over 10 years ago. She sold the home and it was for 90, 900 and almost a million, a little under a million dollars. And they originally built it for less than $150,000 back in the day. And it's been 30 plus years. So when you're, when you have that kind of longevity and yes, she's done quite a bit of repairs and improvements over the years and, and things like that. And that will come into play, but she's still probably going to be above the 250 that she's allowed at this point um, and her basis. So very important to understand how the basis works. And if you don't know, you need to probably talk to somebody that does an enrolled agent, a CPA, somebody that does taxes. Um, that way, then you can sit down, work up the basis, have that. And especially like in Jerry's case, there's going to be two individuals. You really want to use the same information because that way it makes sense. Both of you using the same comps and the same information for the calculation. Um, and then, you know, writing off real estate fees. And if there was any um, any money that had to be put into the property, but it sounded like it was a farm. So it might've just been land. Um, but who knows, you know, again, um, just making sure that you write off all the, what you can write off and, you know, just keep in mind cutting the grass and things like that for your primary home. That is not an add back. That's not something that improves the value. You can't necessarily write that off. If you redid the kitchen, you gutted the kitchen and put a new one in, that would increase the value. You put a new roof on your house, that increases. If you repaired the roof on the house, that does not increase the value. So really understanding how that works when you're dealing with, um, and like I said, we have a lot of people selling and buying real estate um, right this second. So, you know, if you're, looking at those kind of things, um, you want to deal with that. And really quickly, I got an email here and it's about um, someone that is buying and flipping real estate and they were filing it on a schedule E and they were told by their banker that they shouldn't, you know, can't always say every banker knows what they're talking about, but this particular banker was right. Keep in mind, if you are flipping a piece of real estate, it is short-term ordinary income, and it's not rental or passive, which is what a Schedule E is. This should be on a Schedule C or it's an LLC or it's a corporation, uh, a separate entity, but it is not passive income. Passive would be rentals um, and um, not flipping or doing something like that. Most of the time I find people trying to do that is because they're trying to avoid Social Security and Medicare or self-employment tax. Um, You know, in the big picture, guys, I know everyone's always trying to find ways around there. And there there is, if you want to be a sub S corporation, pay yourself a fair wage, but you're making $350,000 a year, maybe a fair wage for the jobs, 150, you could possibly, but just think about it. What are you saving? You've already got, I mean, Medicare is the only thing and that's 1.45% because you've already maximized social security. The IRS has already come down and said that an average person being self-employed basically makes $75,000. If it's less than that, and you're, you know, you're, you're paying yourself 20,000, but you're making 150,000, but your W-2 is 20, the IRS has the right to come back and disallow and charge you 
tax on that. Um, you know, so just keep in mind, you avoiding Social Security and Medicare isn't, um, it's not good tax planning. It's not a good uh, way of doing it. There are correct ways of doing it. There are ways of deferring certain things, but making sure that you do it right so you can sleep at night. Also collect your Social Security when the time comes. Had a couple come in and you know, she had never really worked and she had the ability to, to put some money in her name, but she just didn't do it because they were husband and wife and the husband had always put in his name. And then she became disabled and she wasn't qualified for disability because nothing had ever been paid in her name for retirement. It all been under the husband's name. And again, sometimes that's, you know, nine, nine times out of 10, it may not be a big deal, but it does make a difference sometimes. So thinking again, trying to teach people, don't just think about what it costs in taxes. What benefits are you maybe losing or not getting because of these situations? All right, we're going to take our second break. Again, you can join us at 615-737-9986. We are live here in studio and we'll be right back with the Dr. Friday Show. Alrighty, we are back here live in studio and we are having a great time. And if you want to join us in the studio, you can 615 737 9986 615-737-9986. I'm an enrolled agent licensed by the Internal Revenue Service to do taxes and representation. Just want to clarify, I have never worked for the IRS. Not too sure if they want me to work for the IRS, but either way, not something I have ever done and uh, don't plan to. So but I have been licensed by them to do representation. So basically my job is to represent my clients in front of the IRS to make sure that you know what your um, tax law, what's, what's good, what's bad, what's maybe, what's no, and how they're going to look at it. We do a lot of offer and compromise payment plans um, and uh, amended returns and obviously filing tax returns with offer and compromise. Um, I just want to basically put out there, I know there's a lot of companies that do offer and compromise. Many of them or some of them actually advertise on this station as well. But any company that the first thing out of their mouth is, yes, we can help you, but please pay us $5,000 or anything like that. Make sure that you have an idea of what they're really going to do for you. Because normally, you know, oh, we'll get the IRS to stop bugging you. Well, you know, all you have to do is file a power of attorney. At that point, they're going to pretty much put a hold and then see what the next step is. They have to then contact us to talk to you. So we're a wall or a shield between the IRS and you. Uh, but other than that, are they going to be able to do an offer and compromise? Do you even qualify for an offer and compromise? Do you have the ability to do a payment plan? You know, what is the options that you really have and what are they going to do for $5,000. Again, you owe 30, 40, 50, $60,000. Five doesn't seem so bad. So it's not the way, it's not even the value of the money. It's the value of the service. So make sure you have a human being that you can go and meet and talk to and find out what can be done. And if you need help with that, Again, it's what we do. We've done for 25 years. The and, you, and we'll give you our phone number and email in a little bit here, so you can contact the office and set up a free consult to see if we can help you. Um, again, I want to address the taxpayer statement regarding refunds. 
That's the 3911. We have had a lot of calls, emails, texts about um, how do you get your stimulus money if you have a, if you never received it. Um, you, of course, we kept telling you guys put them on your tax returns, and then people would get the love letter back from the tax return saying we've changed the tax return. You don't qualify for it. Um, and then at that point, we kind of let sleeping dogs lie because we didn't have any real approach. How do we go back and try to obtain the money? that did uh, didn't post. So two things the IRS basically came back and said, one, you need to go ahead and ID, um, me.id, I believe it is, um, but you need to get online or you need to have a power of attorney with someone like myself, CPA, EA, that can get your transcripts because we need to figure out when they issue the check, where the check was issued so we can put a tracking and find where the money went. And then once you know where the money went, then it's the question is, did, did it go back to the IRS or is it, you know, whatever happened to it? And then from there, you, you can apply for a second check or another direct deposit. Um, because in some of the cases I know of the bank accounts were closed, the people had relocated. So the mailing address, the IRS was not good. Um, and, and then, you know, so the check went out to that address, it probably got returned to the IRS. But at that point, the IRS hadn't really posted all that money back into the people's accounts. So um, and, and the same thing with banks, you know, the money went in and then the bank uh, money came back out. So it's just a matter of tracking it, making sure that you have it and then get the resolution that you're looking for. And if you need help, um, I would suggest filing the 3911. But if you need help doing that, you can certainly call our office where we'll help you um, in helping with you with any kind of tax resolution solution, offering compromises, um, just getting power of attorney and talking to the IRS is what we do. It's what we're good at. All right. So if you do want to join the show, you can 615-737-9986-615-737-9986. Taking your calls, talking about all my favorite subjects, which of course really are fairly limited, right? Taxes, taxes and taxes. There you go. There's my favorite subjects, all three of them. Um, so if you want to join us, you can, but, um, other questions and things you need to be considering again, we are halfway or not quite halfway, but we're in May of 2022. So if anything has happened, any sale that you have, that be that a piece of real estate inheritance, anything that may have a taxable situation, you theoretically have two options. You need to make an estimated payment on that in the 90 day cycle or on the estimated tax cycles that you have, if you owe, but you, the tax law basically says, as long as you pay in 110% of the prior year tax, you are basically in compliance. So you have to make sure that you understand the difference of those two situations. But if you do making sure, I'm not going to tell you, I'm a huge fan of putting money out into the IRS and then waiting for them to give it back. Right. Not something that's going to be very exciting. Um, so I, I am a firm believer that you want to basically be able to um, do what, you, you know, go out, do what you need to do, and then um, pay them what they're entitled to when the time comes. Um, so making sure in May, um, May 20th, which was just a couple of days ago, the IRS did revise the 2021 tax credit and advanced child credit frequency ask questions. Um, again, we get all these nice little um, 
updates in here. And one of the important changes to the tax credit that they will help many families receive advanced payments. The Rescue Act, of course, we know that rescue and the tax credit of 2021 uh, came through and uh, they helped do that. One of the answers or questions you have is they will not be giving, as of right now, advanced child tax credits out in 2022. I just wanted to let you know that. All right, let's see what Bill has. Bill, uh, donations to college. Hey, Bill, what's happening? So um, when my wife passed away, I gave the insurance I got. I went ahead and donated that to my grandkids for their scholarship program. I don't remember what that program is called, but I wrote the check to my daughter to deposit rather than to the fund. Mm. Is there any way to, and I understand now that I can take that off taxes, right? But will it work in the situation I've done? No, I mean, neither of them are tax free because I think you're talking about a 529 plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the money goes in after tax, but grows tax free. It's a, a similar to a Roth, um, okay. but you don't actually. But so giving it to her would be the same as as the other. But as long as it got donated into the 529, then um, you can. I don't know how much the I think it's 100. 50, 200,000 or something you could put in in a year. Um, but um, there would be no different of tax. The, the difference is if we give it to your daughter and it's showing as your daughter, theoretically, if it was over $15,000, then there should have been a gift tax return filed on that year, whatever year that is, to um, show that she received the money, right? Because that's who the check was made out to. Um, if you intended to go to the 529 plan theoretically, I know it's your thinking, Hey, I'm giving it to her. She can make sure it goes into the right account um, and have it go that direction. But in essence, the IRS would say that she was the end user of receiving that money. So you you're showing that you gifted the money to her. Now there's no taxes due in any sense of this conversation, unless it was over $11 million. So um, yeah. Okay. And is, is your daughter married or, well, you probably made the check just out to her for thirty thousand. So, in yeah, theory, I, and I put on the on the four thing was for the children's education fund. Okay, um, if it was for the five twenty nine plan, there's nothing needing to be filed. So, okay. again, I mean, worst scenario is if you want to be on the safe side, you do a seven oh nine and you put her in and show thirty fifteen of it would be disallowed, and the other fifteen comes out of your eleven million lifetime, right? I mean, it's really going to have no effect on anything, or um, since you put 529 plan, I don't think the IRS is really going to, it's not a taxable situation either way. So I don't think they're going to really be chasing it down thinking, okay, he's trying to avoid something because it would yeah. be a zero effect really. Okay. Um, and no deductions either. Yeah. No plans, deductions. Right? That's the downside to that conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, right. thanks for your help. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate Bye. you. All right. What do you think? Do you think we can get, is it Dini? Dini, hi. I love the name. Hi. Thank you. Um, I had a question about the tax waiver uh, in buying an existing business. I've never heard that before, and I'm really interested in it. Is that through the uh, Tennessee Department of Revenue? It is through the Tennessee Department of Revenue. Um, um, and so, um, go ahead. Specifically, um, uh, like the opportunity to buy an, um, a a um, a building that had had a business in it that had closed, and the option to buy the business, you know, I, well, they could sell the business too, and I guess it's like a two-in-one deal. 
if mm-hmm. we wanted to do that. And uh, but I wanted to know about that. Uh, I wanted some information on that kind of sale, and also um, particularly the tax waiver, because I can see where that could be. That could be very haunting. Exactly, and you know, doing business for quite a long time here, 20 plus years. Um, and I had never had a client run into it until this one. And then the state coming back and saying, oh yeah, it's on our books. Here's the revenue code and all this. And we're like, oh wow, this is a, a learning curve. Um, Cause it, I didn't think you could hold yeah. someone else responsible for your taxes, you know? So um, now, is, yeah. that, is that on, um, is that on co- collecting the sales tax or is that um, the business tax? It actually covers all three. So sales tax, business tax, franchise, excise tax. If they have any okay. opening balance on any of those. Oh. So you need to get a good standing from the state. And it's pretty easy. You can, they can go on to Tintap and download a good standing report so that you have proof that they were in good standing according to the, you know, the state at the time that you purchased. So you'd say that they, they have to get on there and do that. Right. That would be part of the closing. In my opinion, it's a lot easier for them to do that than it would be for you. I mean, you could probably order it, but it'd be just easier for them because most of us have access to that every month or, you know, whenever you're filing things. So um, it's pretty easy for us to pull it up. When you said the franchise uh, franchise tax, now, is that just if you're um, operating in a franchise or is that just generally... Uh, in the state? Uh, franchise excise would cover any type of basic entity, be it an LLC, a corporation, um, no, not a sole proprietor. So if they're operating as a sole proprietor, they would not have the franchise excise. Or if they're operating as a general liabil- a general partnership, they would not have franchise yeah. excise. But nowadays, okay, a lot of people problem. are like LLCs, be it single or multi-membered um, or corporations. So um, they should all have the waiver so they wouldn't be uh you said the llc would would not uh be subject to the uh franchise excise yes yeah llcs are subject to franchise excise anything that has a charter is subjected to franchise excise oh okay gotcha all right well that's that's a big help thank you so much no problem thank you for calling appreciate it All right, boss, uh, uh, let's go ahead and take a break and then we'll come back to Michael and we'll be at our last time. All right, Uh, Dr. Friday Show. (laughs) Goodness gracious, I'm losing it. This is the Dr. Friday Show. We'll be right back. All righty, we are back here live in studio. This is the last part of the show. So we have about seven minutes left and we've got Michael on the line who held through the break, which I totally appreciate. Hello, Michael. Hello. How are you? I am good. What can I do for you? I filed a paper tax return March 7th and I've called the IRS hotline, refund mm-hmm. hotline. Mm-hmm. No information available and I've been unable to reach a person. What should I do? Um, did you certify it? Did you send no, it with any proof? It. I just send it with, I just send it regular like I always do. Yep. Always I would suggest out. refiling it and sending it priority mail. It will cost you like seven bucks, something like that. Um, that way, then you have a date that it was received. 
So you have a t- period of time to know because any paper return, I will tell you, if you sent it on March 7th, that'd be April, May, it's only been, it's been a little over about 10 weeks, I guess, if I'm doing my math, maybe 13, 11 weeks, something like that. It will take usually about three months for it to post, but I would think it'd be close to posting in all fairness. So um, if, if they're not showing it now, I would actually, if you hopefully you have a copy of everything you sent, because I would suggest sending it again. Okay. I appreciate your help. Thank you. Hey, oh, no you problem. Thanks for certified or is it just having it track tracking? Uh, just okay. track. That's all you need to do. You just need to track. So that way, you know, that they received it. Then you can start counting the weeks and know that in, when you call them, you say, wait, I have proof you received it on this day. Where is my return? You know, but, kind of thing. Okay. All right. Appreciate your help. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, mate. All right. And that is always, um, I, I know for some people, hey, you guys filed your taxes this way for like ever. Um, and it's one of those deals where, you know, every year I do my paper return. I fill in the few blocks. I put it together. I usually have a refund, so I'm not overly worried about it. And I get that. But, you know, it's like anything else, like having a rotary phone, which some of you guys are probably way too young for. But it would be like having one of those and then trying to call people in your car with it or something. I mean, you need to be e-filing returns is all I guess I'm trying to say. It's a lot faster. Um, Usually within 21 days, usually I have several cases where we show proof of e-file and they're not showing up and we have to put a track on it. Sometimes they get bounced back and we don't hear about it because of a name or social security number. But most of the time, Amazingly enough, when we put a tracking on it, the government then finds it and then the ball starts going for that. But I mean, I will say there's probably no perfect uh, situation where you can absolutely every time guarantee that it's always going to be, you know, there. So, but it's at least trackable. And if you don't have something in a few days, at least with a, with one of those situations, you can actually, you know, come back and say, wait a second. I know you received it. Here's my proof. Here's my filing number. Here's my EFIN. Um, find this return or tell me why it's not going in the right place or whatever. So that is my suggestion, but I do know there's a lot of people there. It's easy. You guys just fill out the paperwork, you put it in the mail. And again, up until before COVID, when the post office in the IRS or the postal receiving area in the IRS wasn't you know, so far behind, you guys actually were able to get your refunds probably in a fairly timely manner. Not so anymore. I haven't heard anything from the IRS. Remember I was telling you guys, they were like 6 million behind in in posting or receiving or opening letters. Um, I haven't heard anything lately on any of that. So I don't know if they're any closer or any further away on that situation, but I will keep you posted. If there is a question you wanted to ask and you're not, uh, you know, one that wants to hop on a radio totally can relate to that. You can um, email Friday, like the day of the week, F-R-I-D-A-Y at drfriday.com. So Friday at drfriday.com. You can email a question um, or if you want to set up an appointment, that's the easiest way to probably do that to email it. Another thing you can do is give us a call at 615-367- 0819. Surprisingly enough, you can also text to that number 615 315 
6-7-0-8-1-9. And we can also um, answer questions or text you back at that number. If you would like to, um, you know, the best thing, if you have a friend, you know, somebody that is behind on taxes, or they owe a lot of money to the IRS. We just had a situation with somebody up in Indiana had uh, for years, years having some issues with uh, the government, the revenue department up there. Finally, um, I would like to say it was on my behalf, but I will say we opened the door, but the owner of the, the home really did do the, the harder push on that one. But we showed her how, and bottom line is the levy was released. She's selling the home. She's not going to have to have $28,000 held back for something that she didn't owe. But getting that off and, and making sure that your records are in good shape, that's really important. So again, if you need help, you're not too sure where to start, you have moved around, you don't have records, trust me, we know how to help you get your tax returns caught up to date. And you might be actually relatively surprised on how long or how many years we have to do. So if you need help doing that, easiest way to reach us, 615-367-0819. You can also email Friday at drfriday.com, F-R-I-D-A-Y at drfriday.com. And then if you don't have any idea who this crazy person is that you've been listening to for the last 40 some minutes on the radio, you might want to check out drfriday.com. That's drfriday.com. And you can find out who I am, where my offices are, um, or office, uh, not multiple, only singular office in Brentwood. Um, or if you just want to have some questions or, or situations, you can also email email right through the website directly to us so that we can try to help you figure out what the next step is because so often people will make decisions and then once you made that decision especially when it's coming to selling investment property maybe you should have done a 1031 but it's a little hard to say that to someone after they've already sold it because once you've touched the money, you can't do a 1031 exchange. You can't do a 1031 exchange on your primary home. So these are the kinds of questions you need to talk to someone before you make those decisions. That way, then when you get ready to go do something, you're not sitting there going, oh my gosh, I could have saved what, um, you know, what good does that do? Looking backwards is not going to be the answer. You need to look forward, figure out what's going to be the next way to do it. So again, if you have tax issues, you haven't filed taxes in a number of years, you have someone that you know is getting a ton of love letters, or maybe you just received your very first love letter from the IRS and you have no idea how to communicate about it. Well, guess what? I am more, as you can see, I know how to talk. I can certainly fill in the blank for all that. I can certainly help you fill in the blank and figure out what you need to do. If it's a state issue, if it's a federal issue, we're licensed in all the states so we can help you on either situation. It's just a matter of getting things done the right way so you don't have to worry about you know, making um, a decision and then that decision costing you possibly thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands in making the wrong choice as far as how or what you need to do. So one more time, just so you know, I'm Dr. Friday. My firm is Dr. Friday Tax and Financial Firm, 615-367-0819, 615-367-0819, or you can email Friday at drfriday.com. Again, Friday at drfriday.com. And you can also do the um, internet, just drfriday.com. Again, drfriday.com. I hope you guys are having an awesome Saturday. We're having a great time here. And as we always like to say in Australia, oh, we're 30 cop.
you later. 